Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever been starstruck before? Uh, have you ever been starstruck before? Uh, I haven't met many famous people in my life, uh, but my greatest brush with fame was uh, meeting Boris Becker when I was young. Uh, put up your hand if you know who I'm talking about. Um, these are all the old people. Um, Boris Becker uh, was a famous German tennis player in the 80s. Uh, his nickname was Boom Boom because uh, he had a booming serve. Uh, and it happened at a tournament uh, that uh, he was playing at in Sydney. Uh, I was there. Uh, Becker was on one of the outside courts. Uh, he was practicing with his coach. Uh, he mistimed the shot and the ball flew over the fence. And uh, being a young and uh, enthusiastic person, uh, I rushed over to grab the ball, uh, thinking I would keep it as a souvenir. Uh, but to my great surprise, uh, Becker motioned for me to come over because he wanted the ball back. <laughs> and so I ran over to him and I remember standing in front of him uh, in awe, but no words were coming out of my mouth. Um, I was seeing him, but I actually couldn't say anything. Uh, I wonder whether you've had a similar experience before. Have you ever been starstruck? Uh, what do you do when you meet someone who is so much greater than you? Uh, how do you respond to someone that you are in absolute awe of? Uh, I'm asking you this question this morning because uh, I want us to think about what happens when a person genuinely meets God? Uh, what happens when a person sees what God is really like? Now, uh, we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Isaiah for the past few weeks. Uh, we've seen, haven't we, that the message of Isaiah uh, so far has been one of judgment on the city of Jerusalem. The people of, of the city have been rebellious against God. They have been proud. They have been greedy and idolatrous. They have been unjust in the way they have treated people. They have grown spiritually cold and complacent towards God. And so God, through his prophet, pronounces judgment on them. But here in chapter 6, we finally meet the man, Isaiah himself. Um, you might think it's a bit curious that uh, we meet Isaiah in chapter 6 and not in chapter 1, uh, which is what you would have expected. Uh, perhaps that's because in the book of Isaiah, uh, the message that Isaiah brings uh, is actually much more important than the man. But whatever the case, here we are introduced to the beginning of Isaiah's uh, ministry as he sees God himself in a vision. But uh, what happens when Isaiah sees God? What happens when he sees God? Uh, I think many people think that if they ever encounter God, it will be a pleasant experience. You think most people uh, think that in our world? Uh, in our pride, we often think that meeting God uh, can be a casual thing. But here I want you to see that when Isaiah sees a vision of God, 
He thinks he is going to die. Uh, let's pick it up from chapter 6, verse 1. If you have your Bibles in front of you, uh, have a look at chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 of Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, trained robe stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, I just want us to uh, see a number of things here. Uh, firstly, notice that in this vision, Isaiah sees the real king, the true king. Uh, now, you can see there that Isaiah tells us that he has this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, Uzziah was a king who ruled uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah uh, in the southern kingdom of Israel uh, for many years. Uh, these were golden years. Uh, during this king's reign. Uh, Jerusalem enjoyed great economic and military prosperity uh, under this man's rule. Uh, it's no wonder the people of Jerusalem were growing complacent because that's what uh, often happens, isn't it? When God's people become rich and start to put their trust in money and wealth and possessions. But whatever the case, Uzziah was a king who left Jerusalem with great prosperity. Uh, but I want you to see here that in Isaiah's vision, there is no doubt as to who the real king is. Uh, in verse 1, notice that God is seated on, on a throne, which is a symbol of kingly rule. He is high and lifted up. In other words, uh, his rule is higher than any other rule or power in this world. He is majestic. He is transcendent. And further, notice that his rule extends beyond Jerusalem. Uh, we're told that the, the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, if, if just a, a little corner of your kingly robe fills the entire temple in Jerusalem, how big must this God be? His rule is not just limited to Jerusalem, but he actually rules the world. Secondly, notice that the real king is holy. Uh, in verse 2, you see the seraphim, uh, who uh, I think are, are heavenly beings, covering their face and their feet with their wings as a sign of reverence before God. And in verse 3, you hear them calling out to one another the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, the word holy there uh, just means to be separate. And so uh, what, what uh, the seraphim are saying is that God is so morally uh, perfect, 
and pure and pristine, that he is separate to anything else in this world. But thirdly, and here's the point, notice that when Isaiah sees this holy God, well, he thinks he's going to die. In verse 5, you can see there that he cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost. Woe is me, for I am lost. In other words, he's terrified because he knows that before a holy uh, and righteous and pure God, he will be lost, literally ruined or destroyed. Why does he think this? Well, uh, you can see there in the same verse that it's because he knows that he is a man of unclean lips. And he dwells in the midst of a people of unclean Why does Isaiah speak about lips here, do you think? Uh, You know, uh, already uh, in the first few chapters, he's talked about sinful people uh, having bruised heads and uh, haughty necks and uh, ungodly feet. But why the lips? Well, I think it's because it is the lips that reveal what a person really trusts in, don't you think? Uh, If you spend a week in my house and uh, uh, we uh, chat to one, one another for a week, Uh, my guess is that you will begin to work out what I really trust in, what I really believe in. Is that true? What is it that is on your lips and my lips? Well, the problem with Isaiah, and in fact the problem with all of Israel, is that their trust had wandered from the Lord God Almighty himself to worshipping other idols. And so, in absolute terror, all Isaiah can do is to confess before God how unclean and sinful he really is. Uh, You know, it's a bit like a mirror. Uh, I have a mirror uh, in my bedroom, um, and uh, uh, I sometimes take a glance at myself uh, from a distance. And I think, you know, I I like what I'm I'm seeing. (laughs) But the closer I get to the mirror, uh, I start to get more and more horrified. (laughs) Uh, I start to notice blemishes in my skin. Uh, I start to see stains in my clothes. Uh, I start to see all these imperfections. When Isaiah gets up close and personal with God, who is holy and righteous and pure, well, he begins to see how unclean, how unworthy he really is. Uh, Now, friends, uh, in many ways, uh, Isaiah's experience is not our experience. Uh, For example, uh, I'd be very surprised if you or I Uh, We're having visions like this uh, in the night. But uh, for us who live 
looking back to the cross of Jesus, uh, not like uh, Isaiah who, who was looking forward to the cross of Jesus, uh, I want to suggest that we come to see God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, says in chapter 1, verse 3, uh, these words, He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, Jesus is God in every way. And so if I see Jesus clearly, I see God clearly. And if I see Jesus clearly, if I see the Holy One of God clearly, well, he will begin to expose my sinfulness and my uncleanness and bring me to the point of confession. Do you and I see Jesus in this way? Now, I think what can often happen is uh, we take our eyes off Jesus and uh, what we do is we start to look around at one another and uh, we begin to say to ourselves, well, because my life looks a little bit better than their life, uh, I must not really be that sinful after all. But here I want you to see that what God says is that if you and I see God clearly, if you and I see Jesus clearly, then he will expose the uncleanness and sinfulness of our hearts. If you and I worship a Jesus who never exposes our sin, never tells us to repent of the things that we are guilty of, well, it's probably because we are worshipping a false Jesus, don't you think? Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. He is the Holy One of God. And do you and I see him clearly enough for him to continue to reveal and expose our sinfulness and bring us to the point of confession? So, uh, we've seen Isaiah confessing his sin before God. But how will God make Isaiah into his servant? How will he, he, he make a man who is of such unclean lips to be a person who then uses his lips to speak the very words of God? Well, the answer that we're given in this passage is that God will do it by removing Isaiah's guilt. He will do it by dealing with the problem of Isaiah, which is his sinfulness. Let's pick it up from verse 6. Uh, have a look at verse 6 with me. Uh, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. Uh, notice here that it is God who takes the initiative. It is God who sends the seraphim uh, with the burning coal to touch Isaiah's lips. It is God who takes away Isaiah's guilt. It is God who atones for and pays for Isaiah's sin. But what is this burning coal? We might wonder. Uh, well, uh, in the Bible, 
burning or fire symbolizes God's anger and his wrath at human sinfulness. Further, you'll notice that this burning coal is taken with tongs from the altar, which was the place of sacrifice in the Old Testament temple. And so uh, I think that the coal is symbolic of Isaiah being shown mercy by God's wrath falling on a sacrifice rather than consuming Isaiah himself. Now, uh, we're not given a lot of detail here, uh, but later in Isaiah, as we continue to read Isaiah, uh, we can see that this happens through a, 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 a mysterious and enigmatic figure called the servant who offers himself for the sins of the people. Uh, of course, uh, the servant uh, is looking forward to it, his ultimate fulfillment in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but here's the thing, friends. Can you see the wonderful transformation in Isaiah here. After God deals with Isaiah's sin, he asks whether anyone is willing to go to the people of Jerusalem as his spokesperson. And I love verse 8. Look at verse 8. Look at what Isaiah says. He says, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. What wonderful words. See, God takes a man of unclean lips and through his mercy transforms him into a servant who is willing to go out with God's word. Uh, Now again, uh, I think we need to take great care in understanding uh, how this might all uh, apply to us. Uh, In this passage, uh, God transforms Isaiah into a willing servant and uh, we later see him being commissioned Uh, to take God's word to Jerusalem. Uh, But just because uh, God tells Isaiah to go out with his word, uh, is he saying the same thing to us? Um, Is everything that God tells Isaiah to do something that he tells you and me to do? Uh, Later in chapter 20, God tells Isaiah to take off his clothes and go around naked in his sandals? Uh, Should we follow that piece of advice? How do we decide which bits apply to us and which bits are unique to Isaiah? Uh, Well, friends, uh, I think the beginning of an answer to this is that we need to begin to understand the Old Testament through the lens of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Uh, And what does the gospel tell us? Well, it tells us that like Isaiah, we too have been shown uh, enormous, extravagant mercy by God through the blood of Jesus himself who offered himself as our sacrifice. Uh, Your guilt and my guilt, if we put our trust in him, has been taken away, dealt with. Our sin has been paid for. What a wonderful mercy. Uh, Further, the gospel tells us that God has saved us, not in order to serve ourselves, but in order to serve him. 
Uh, have a look at what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 13. Uh, it says, Therefore, if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, notice, to serve the living God. But how do we serve God? Well, our commission is not a commission to go to Jerusalem, is it? Our commission is a commission to go to the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. If you and I are people who have been shown mercy by God, then are we the ones who are willingly and joyfully serving God in this way? Uh, For some of us, God may be telling us to go to our children and to tell them and teach them about Jesus. For some, for some of us, for, for others of us, uh, God may be telling us to go to our work colleagues and to make disciples in that place that God has placed us. For others, God may be telling us to go across the road to our neighbour to begin to tell them about Jesus. For others, God may be telling us to go into another state or another country in order to make disciples of the nations. Friends, where are you and I going in order to serve God? And are we doing this willingly and joyfully? Because we know that we are the ones who have received mercy Are Isaiah's words our words? Here I am. Send me. Or whenever the opportunity to serve him comes up, are our words send somebody else? Now, uh, we've seen Isaiah's confession, Uh, we've seen God's mercy. In dealing with Isaiah's sin, uh, we've seen the transformation of Isaiah into a willing servant, uh, ready to go to Jerusalem with God's message. But what is this message that Isaiah has been given? Uh, Well, you can see there that it is essentially a message of judgment. A message of judgment. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 9. Verse 9 says, And he said, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You see, Isaiah's message to the city of Jerusalem will be essentially one of judgment. Uh, You know, sometimes God sends prophets like Jonah uh, to give a warning to a city so that the city will actually uh, turn back to God and find salvation. But notice that's not what is going on here. God is going to send Isaiah to a people who will not listen to him. 
God is sending Isaiah to preach to a people who will just be confirmed in their own hard-heartedness so that when God's judgment falls on them, it will be shown to be just and righteous. Uh, I think I'm getting a bit old these days. Um, and so I've noticed that whenever I go into a crowded room, uh, I have difficulty hearing things. Does anyone else have that problem, or is that just me? Uh, I mean, I, I hear a lot of noise. I, I even see people's mouths moving, but I can't actually hear what is being said. Uh, to make things worse, I'm also going blind. Uh, I went to my optometrist the other day, and my eyes have gotten worse. And so if I don't have these things on, I just see blobs and can't actually make out what's happening in front of me. You see, that's spiritually what Jerusalem will be like. They will hear the preaching of Isaiah, but they will not really understand what he is saying to them. They will see what is his ministry, but they won't perceive what it's really all about. It's not that Isaiah's preaching is not clear. It's not as though uh, his words are un- you know, uh, mystical and not able to be understood. But for Jerusalem, Isaiah's message will just be white noise in the background. And they will continue to reject God's message again and again and again. It's too late. And judgment falls. It's no wonder that in verse 11, Isaiah asked the question, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? It's such a sad question, don't you think? Imagine being given this kind of commission. It's going to be a difficult ministry. It's going to be a a sad ministry. Imagine preaching God's word again and again, only to see it falling on deaf ears again and again. And so Isaiah asks, God, how, how long do you want me to do this for? God's answer you are to preach this message until Jerusalem is destroyed. You can see it there in verse 11. Have a look at verse 11. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And God said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. You see, Jerusalem will be completely devastated. It will be like a tall and majestic tree that has been cut down with just the stump remaining. But even the stump is not safe. For God will even judge that stump. But even at the end of this devastation, did you notice that there is actually a glimmer of hope here? It's there in the mention of a holy seed. Uh, Seed is such a powerful word in this context, I think. Because it makes us think of plants 
and gardens and growth. It takes our mind back to images in the Old Testament where God promised the blessing of children and offspring. It's a word that is full of hope. Judgment will not be God's final word, is what is being said here. There will be a faithful few who will still be saved. And friends, I want to suggest that this is still what God's word is like, isn't it? As we speak the gospel message to those around us, it will often feel like we are speaking to deaf ears and blind eyes. I wonder whether you've ever felt like that before as you've tried to speak to your friends about Jesus. People will continue to reject the gospel again and again, hardening themselves against God until that frightening point when it is too late to turn back. However, there will be some who do not harden themselves, but with soft hearts they will receive what God says to them and they will turn back to God, willingly and joyfully wanting to obey him and serve him. That's what it will be like, friends, to speak the gospel message. It will harden most, it will soften some. Even as I preach now, the word of God is hardening some so that you will not listen to what God has to say to you, while for others it is softening you so that you take God seriously and receive his word with joy and willingness to serve him. How are you and I listening to the word of God this morning? or in our growth groups, or wherever else we open up God's word. Uh, Christopher Ashe, in one of his books, writes this. He says, listening to sermons is risky business. It can damage your health or take you closer to final rescue. What it won't do is leave you and me unchanged. What the word of God never does is leave us unchanged. It will either harden us as we reject him or it will soften us as we receive with meekness what he is saying. How are you and I listening to what God has to say to us? Let's pray.